We are in a series called Encounters, and what we're talking about is the fact that when Jesus shows up, everything changes. And we also talk about the fact that when Jesus shows up, oftentimes it looks a lot different than what our expectations might be. And certainly this morning as we celebrate what we call the triumphal entry, this is like opposite day. Um, People in power... Uh, people who are famous, people who have lots of money, don't show up the way Jesus showed up. And for those of you who know this story, and maybe you every year you've been at church and you understand what the triumphal entry is, hopefully this morning I can give you uh, a picture that's painted juxtaposed to our particular culture uh, for us in America. Uh, In America, if you are um, famous or you're in a position of power or you have a lot of wealth, there is a lot of attention seeking, drawing attention to yourself. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, recently went up into space in that Uh, And so he wanted to bring attention to himself. Elon Musk obviously doesn't want to be outdone. He launches a car into space with a dummy uh, pilot. At least I hope that's a dummy uh, or else it's just a frozen popsicle astronaut up there now. But, um, But this is just what we do. And as uh, a culture of wealth and a culture of used to getting everything we want and a culture of aspiring for greater things, we love to watch famous people and we love to watch people in power just do their thing. And we also love to watch them fail miserably. I don't know what it is, but we prop them up, and then when they fail, we go, I feel so much better about myself, and uh, that, you know, I'm better than Elon Musk. You are better than, you're not smarter, but you're better than him. I'm just here to tell you that. Uh, Now, I'm going to age myself because uh, I'm from the demographic that this was a big deal. Uh, So, I don't know if you remember this royal wedding. Right, um, we it's it's Prince Charles and Diana, and I'm telling you, people were glued to the television uh, when this was going on. Maybe some of you watched it. You don't have to raise your hands in shame. Uh, you just uh, they're raising their hands for you, so you're good. She actually died in a car accident. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. Um, So that's over. Uh, If you're a Democrat, this is your gal, AOC. Uh, She's famous. She's part of the squad. She shows up to a banquet, uh, $35,000 a plate, wearing a a dress that says tax the rich, right? So it's like out there, the irony, obviously. You're like, John, how dare you, you know, make fun of Democrats? I I get it. Don't worry. It's coming. Uh, You'll get yours. But like you look at Putin, right? Putin's a big thing. You see him riding on a tiger or whatever whatever pictures he has on there with his shirt off. But this is a little parade they had in Russia. And this is just like all, you know, great parade. Okay, so for Democrats, uh, this happened. Uh, Our president flew in on an aircraft carrier in a jet because I guess he was just flying up there. And they had a big banner that said mission accomplished because aircraft carriers print banners apparently now, whatever. We love to see it. We love to see them fail. Here's the great, okay, this was the last couple weeks. You knew I wasn't going to just let it go, right? Okay, I just want to let the dust settle a little bit more, okay? But we look at this and we go, oh my goodness, how, how could it happen? 
Millionaire, millionaire, multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire, hundred millionaire, hundred millionaire. How can that happen? Well, the way it happens is that our understanding of power, of wealth, of importance is radically different than the kingdom of God. Our kingdom, uh, again, not to pick on America, but just this is where we are, is uh, who's the loudest? Who's the most attractive? Who, for the time being, hasn't been caught? Because <laughs> they all get caught somehow. I don't know why. You got all that money, right? How does that happen? Well, I'm going to show you a different way this morning. And uh, if you already uh, know the triumphal entry, you're kind of going to get an idea of where I'm going. Uh, but hopefully at the end, I'll throw in a little monkey wrench. But here's what we say to all these people. Whether it's AOC or uh, Bill Clinton or Trump or Biden or whatever. We say this. She's not perfect, but... Right? That's what we say. Or he's not perfect, but just pick whoever it is. This is kind of how we say it. If I ask someone, hey, um, uh, you know, if, if someone's going to tell me who they are voting for, uh, like in 2016, it was, you know, Trump and Hillary. And, you know, I'd ask someone who's voting for Hillary because our church is about split down the middle and all this stuff. And they'd say, well, she's not perfect, but she's better than Trump, right? That would be the thing. Or you go, well, you're voting for Trump. Okay, we're great. He's not perfect. He's got some flaws. But we say this about everybody famous. They're not perfect, but it's better. They can sing or they can dance or they're attractive or they're trying. Or you can pick whatever institution, human institution you want to pick. The leader of that institution is flawed. Okay? They're not perfect, but okay. Here's what I want you to see this morning. He is perfect and, <laughs> see, when we talk about Jesus, now I can get excited. Now I know something's not going to come down the line like, oh, man. You ever put your stock into somebody or something or you've been a fan or you've had a poster on the wall? Trust me, I have Tom Brady's jersey, okay? So I know I'm not opposed to, uh, you know, idolizing someone. And then he retired and I put it in my garage. And then he unretired and I put it back up. On. No, I didn't do that. But, but he's not perfect, but he's a really good quarterback, right? Jesus is perfect, and he asks us to be perfect. Jesus is perfect, and he asks us to live in a kingdom totally different than what we're used to. He is perfect, and he says, hey, don't value the things that everyone else around you is valuing. He is perfect, and he wants you to join him. He is perfect, and he will not leave you. He is perfect, and he will not forsake you. He's perfect, and he loves you. So we're going to take a look at this story juxtaposed to something that was probably happening during this time as well. The reason I say probably, uh, I'm just, I just don't have 100% documentation for it, but I have enough that I could piece together, that during this time, which is the Passover, Two triumphal entries, that's four actually, two triumphal entries were happening at the same time, around the same time. One 
was Jesus that we're going to see in just a little bit. The other one was Pontius Pilate. Because Pontius Pilate was in Caesarea, what they called Maritima right there, but uh, Caesarea Philippi, same area, very wealthy coastal city. That's where Pilate was most of the time until the Passover. When he had to come, just like every one of our human leaders, in a display of force or to be in the papers, or to launch the rockets, or to wear the dress, or fly in on the airplane. This is how they all do it. And so Pontius Pilate, around this time, would have taken his garrison of soldiers, and they would have been in leather, not like a biker, but just leather, and uh, they'd polish that leather, and they'd make lots of noise, and in one hand they'd have a sword, and in one hand they'd have a spear, or if they were an archer, they would have their archery stuff, and they would walk in, and Pontius Pilate would be on a horse that had been groomed, that was bigger than all the other horses, would have been a war horse, draped in armor, draped in leather, again, coming through Jerusalem going, do not even think about uprising. Passover was a really big nationalistic thing. Remember, what it did was it celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. This idea that they were once enslaved, they were once controlled, and then through the Passover, they were liberated. They went through the desert. After that, there was a Babylonian captivity. And so palm branches and that whole idea, 100 years before this happened, there was a Maccabean uh, uh, revolt. And the palm branch was the symbol of freedom. And so lots of people died <laughs> during that revolt. And Rome won. <laughs> and what Pontius Pilate, when he comes in on that horse with that garrison, it says, I'm in power. Rome is in power, and he would come in as the son of God. Caesar was the son of Apollos, they believed, right? He's, he's, this, he's the son of a Greek god, and, and so he was a god. And then all the rest were these sons of God, these, these people who were put out for Caesar to display power and authority. That's on one side of the city, the west side. On the east side of the city, here's what happens. We catch Jesus in Luke. We're going to look at a lot of things, uh, mostly in Luke, but then you'll see, um, I'll put in some Matthew and some Mark and some John in there to give a fuller picture. None of it contradicts any of it, but it's just, that's just the way it goes. So it, it adds some detail and some context. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, so he was talking to his disciples. He's been doing all sorts of stuff. We've read the feeding of the 5,000. We've uh, read through all these overturning of the tables. We're going to see him do it again. I guess they didn't learn. But after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he's going to celebrate the Passover. Normally, for Passover's past, he'd just show up. That's what he did. He'd walk there with his disciples. But this particular one, it says he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. He knew this was going to be it. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany 
at the hill called the Mount of Olives. I want you to just keep this in the back of your mind for just one bit. Just remember the Mount of Olives. It's going to come back in just a little bit as we look at some Old Testament prophecy. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, uh, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. You never ride the royalty's uh, animals. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Now, I have tried this in many different contexts. It does not work, okay? This is not applicable to your life, okay? It's just part of the narrative, all right? So don't go into a Tesla dealership, and when you get in there, go, the Lord has need of it, okay? Although, if you do want to buy me a Tesla, that would be fine, because I do have need of it somehow. All right. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. So I just want you to get this straight. It's not that planning for the event is bad, right? All the people that I mentioned, whether it be a rocket launch or a jet fighter or you're wearing a dress, that was all planned, okay? None of it just happened. It's not so much the planning that's the problem. It's the message. As they were untying the colt, can you imagine these guys? Okay, I love Jesus. I really do. I love Jesus. How about you? No, I love Jesus, right? But if he told me to go steal somebody's animal, I'd be like, I'd be a little stealth about, wouldn't you? I mean, honestly, it's like, I know he said it, but just, is this the right animal? Like, what if there's another colt around the back that was the one that you're supposed to use that's being serviced or whatever? Like, like, how do you know, really know? But they do it. As they're untying it, its owners ask, why are you untying the colt? And somehow, whether Jesus, like, I don't know how he did it, but whether he went and talked to those people or whether it was like, um, you know, use the four, you know, there's nothing to see here, you know, and they just, they move on. I don't know how it worked. But they replied, the Lord needs it. And they're like, okay, you knew the magic password, I guess. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now, why did this happen? We go to Matthew. This took place to fulfill what was through the prophet, which is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. All through the Old Testament, as you watch how God deals with the people of Israel, it is the same. Throughout the entire Old Testament, it carries on into the New Testament. Don't put your trust in gods that fail you. Don't put your trust in things that fail. Don't put your trust in people that fail you. In these gods that have no power. In these systems that have no power. Do not be afraid is all through the thing. Worship me. I will be your God. You will be my people. All through the Bible. Old, from the very beginning all the way to the very end. There is another kingdom. Pilate represents the kingdom of the earth coming in. Pomp and circumstance. Big horse. Polished leather. Big helmets, everything to go. Jesus represents another kingdom that comes in humility. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle. 
Your king comes to you gentle. With Jesus, there is this tension that we manage in our whole lives. The authority and the humility. The authority and the humility. Oftentimes, I meet people as they talk about the things of whatever our culture is. If they have humility, they're usually not in a place of authority. And vice versa. If they're in a place of authority, they usually don't have very much humility. Jesus comes with this authority. Your king. We just sang, right? Hosanna. Yeah, right? And then what did we sing? Come have your way among us. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't like that. I actually didn't sing that part. I just like the Hosanna part. Yay, save us. And then they sang, come have your way. And I just mumbled that part. Come have your way. I think that's a good thing. Because, right? We love his humility. We don't necessarily love his authority. Or maybe you come from a Christian perspective that's all about his authority. Do, 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 do. He's always watching over you. He's always ready to go. He's always dressed in armor. He's always got a bat. He's always wound up ready. And you forget his humility. John says it this way, that he comes with this perfect blend of grace and truth. He speaks the truth to us, but it's seasoned with this grace and this mercy. In our particular context, we call it prevenient grace. It's grace that has already gone ahead of us. So that when I come to Christ, He's already prepared that way through his grace, not holding my sins against me and riding on a donkey, not even a donkey. Now, again, if you're in Zechariah, you're like, I don't want a king like that. I want a king that, that, that comes on a horse, right, or something big. Remember, maybe you don't, but in the Old Testament, the Israelites want a king so bad. They're like, we want to be like the other, uh, other nations. We want to be like the other nations. And God says to them, don't do it. Whatever you do, don't do it. Don't be, don't, here's what's going to happen. They're going to come in. They're going to take your women. They're going to take, take, your, take your daughters. Take your sons. They're going to be used for their own kingdom. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they're like, we've prayed about it. We're going to do it. Okay? And so they do. But this is the kingdom that God has set up. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of submission to the king. So, he says in Zechariah, quoting Zechariah, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So as he went along, the people spread their coats on the road. Again, they're all excited because they think he's coming to take over, to kick Rome out, to kick Caesar out, to finally get it to where it was supposed to be. One nation under God. Jesus has something completely different planned. They spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, again, uh, or, uh, uh, um, goes down the Mount of Olives. Now remember, he was on the Mount of Olives. We're going to come back to this in a bit. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Then again, we quote some other scriptures. Hosanna, which just means save. Save us. And they think in terms of this other kingdom. Like, get us out of this Roman rule. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're now riffing off of Psalm 118, which they would have done uh, a lot of times during these patriotic events, during these times of God is on the throne. Restore Israel. We will be your God. We will be your children and you will be our God. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As a matter of fact, this was so upsetting that they would be doing this. Now remember, I told you about this Maccabean revolt that happened a hundred years prior, that they would have, or decades prior, and they would have remembered this. They all would have known the stories. They all would have had, just like us, if uh, we had a war, we remember those people who we lost in the war or in the revolt, or if there was a massacre or whatever, we would have all these same things happening. And so some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. In other words, you can't have them doing all this patriotic stuff. Don't you remember what happened? Now again, the Pharisees are in a position of what? Of power. They, they, want, they just want to make sure that the procession that's happening on the other side of town in the West, that that doesn't spill over into their power structure, into what they need in order to be successful. Jesus says, I'm telling you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then I wanted to insert this, uh, jo- this thing in John, because uh, John adds another uh, thing that the Pharisees say. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you aren't doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now we find, because, what do, they, what do they value? They value numbers. There's a bunch of people there. They value um, expression. Like, look how excited everyone is. They think Jesus at this point is winning. Like the whole world has gone after him. But Jesus is not part of this kingdom. He brings a different kingdom. He models a different kingdom. And here's what he does. And this ushers in the kingdom of what we're talking about here. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Now, if you think about Jerusalem at this point, being under Roman rule, technologically, like the fact that there's roads now and all these things, actually, the nation's doing pretty good. They've got all the the infrastructure that Rome has brought, all these things. Jesus is not interested in that at all. He weeps over the city. Why? The same reason he weeps over any culture that thinks power is going to bring peace. It never does. He says this, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Jesus would look out over our culture and say the same thing. You think it's going to be a relationship? He weeps over that. That's not what's going to bring you peace. He says, if you think it's going to be wealth? You think if everybody has what, that's going to bring you peace? It, it doesn't do that. We're more addicted now than we've ever been in the history of our country. You think that's going to bring you peace? Just a little reprieve with a substance or maybe just an event or something like that? 
Jesus weeps over that. Now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You missed it. As a matter of fact, this ended up happening in 70 AD. There was a revolt and the Romans did exactly what Pilate was threatening when he came in on his horse. Total devastation, total annihilation. So what happens then? He, he gets down, everyone's saying Hosanna, and then he comes and he's like, you guys are missing it. You're missing the point. I'm it. I'm the solution to your problems. And for any one of you that are listening, whether online or here, listening to my voice, and you have been trying to find peace someplace outside of Jesus, I beg you to just at least look into what a life following him looks like. Now, it involves come have your way among us. It involves him being king. It involves placing him on the throne of your life. It involves this humble king coming and saying, you know what? This particular part of your life needs to go. And you say, oh, you can't take rid of that. that. That's the thing that gives me my value. And he says, no, it's not. The fact that I created you is what gives you value. The fact that I call you child gives you value. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began again to drive out. We saw this a few weeks ago. He began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He didn't go anywhere else but the temple to make sure that they knew that when his kingdom comes, it is a spiritual, eternal, everlasting kingdom. And here's what I believe with all my heart. He's coming again. He's going to come again. And this time when he comes, it will be on a horse. <laughs> and in this time, he will have a sword. And so we wait ex expectantly for that. But until then, I believe it's coming. I don't know when. I don't know how it's going to go. As I look at Revelation and all these different things, it could easily happen tomorrow. <laughs> easily. But I'm still going to pay my electric bill. Uh, right? <laughs> Okay, no. Uh, so he goes in, he cleans the temple. Remember we talked about him overturning the tables of the temple in our hearts, that we are the, the, the temple. But this is even more important, and I'll show you why in just a, a second. Here's how Mark ends the story. It's so plain and common and nothing. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. In other words, he went back up to the mountain. And you think, wait a minute. Wait. What? We just sang Hosanna. Like he just had, we just had a big parade. What did he do after the parade? He went home. Right? He just went home. Because he wasn't establishing a kingdom that he had to have on earth. Now, watch what happens. 
We're going to go back to Ezekiel. This is so obscure, but like I said, I love geeking out over the Bible, and you're going to geek out with me whether you like it or not. All right. Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel was a prophet that was there talking to the Jews in their Babylonian exile. Okay? So the Babylonians came. They took, we can, that's a totally different sermon for a different time, but they basically take the Jews, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all that. You get all that stuff there. Ezekiel's talking, and he's having these visions, and he's talking to the people of Israel who were left behind. Because they were left behind, and they're going, Huh, everybody's gone. I guess we get to keep everything, right? And Ezekiel's like, no, no. This is a totally different thing. And so Ezekiel says this. Therefore say, so God's telling Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says to you. I will gather you from the nations. Okay, so remember, they've been exiled. So what do they want? They want to get back to their homeland and have it be occupied by them. It's very political language that's going on right here. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'll gather you from the nations. I'll get you back. And bring you back from the countries where you've been scattered. Yay, here we go. This is awesome. And I'll give you back the land Israel again. That's it. Stop right there, Ezekiel. We've heard enough. It sounds great. Love your plan. They will return to it and remove... All its vile images and detestable idols. Oh, so in other words, it's going to be totally different. Oh, yeah, it's going to be. You don't get to keep the idols. You don't get to keep the detestable, uh, the, the vile images and the detestable idols. Watch what happens. This is what he's looking for. When Jesus comes as king, this is what he's looking for. When Jesus rides into your life on the foal of a coal, full of all humility and all, all authority, this is what he's looking for. If you've not started this relationship with Jesus and someone's been telling you, hey, just pray, make him the king of your life, this is what he's talking about. This is the change he's looking for. As we, we're going to be baptizing on uh, next Sunday, this is the story you'll hear. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. This is the kingdom of God. This is what God wants for you, what he wants for me. He wants an undivided heart, one that solely seeks after what the Lord would have in my life, that is completely separate from my circumstances. That's West Side city thinking. Oh, if everything would just be right. If I could just get this bonus. If I could just get this raise. If I could just get my, you know, kids to move out of the house. If I could just, like, whatever it is. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in an undivided heart. Put a new spirit in him. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then what will happen? They'll follow my decrees. Again, kingship, authority. And be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people. And I will be their God. This is from the beginning. When, even when we read Genesis, 
And we see God creating man and woman. Why? For relationship. We see that God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. They had sinned and God was like, where are you? Let's go. What's going on? They had that divided heart. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile images, their detestable idols, those with the big pomp and circumstance and everything's kind of going the way they want, I'll bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, you say, John, you mentioned the Mount of Olives. Okay, okay, okay. So here's what happened in chapter 10, okay? He's having this vision of the glory of God. And so the glory of God, and again, it's like a vision that you'd read in Revelation. It's super trippy, okay? There's like cherubim, and they have wheels, and they're flapping their wings, and it's just, you're kind of going, what's going on? But that's not the point. The point is the glory of God. Ezekiel keeps talking about this vision of the glory of God. The glory of God leaves the temple in his vision. It leaves the temple. Here's what it says. Then the cherubim with the wheels beside them. Okay, again, don't ask me to explain this. You'll need a smart pastor to do that. They spread their wings. Listen, and the glory of God was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. This is the Mount of Olives. The glory leaves the temple. This is a prophecy. This is a vision. It leaves the temple and is on the mount. And now Jesus, the glory of God, comes from the mount into the temple to fulfill what was supposed to happen, that there would be a people that would serve God only. It's why when he makes it down, From there, and he enters the temple, he turns the tables over again and goes, this is not the way it's going to go down. This is why he says, in three days, you destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up again. He's talking about himself. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. He is the true place of worship. And he longs to give us a heart of flesh. He longs to give us a heart that we are not totally dependent on our circumstances, on our life, that this life we're living now is so temporary. And he understands that. We say again, as the worship band returns, he's not perfect, but those are all our human leaders. I... I, I happened to make the mistake of being on Instagram, and uh, and I was on. I was just. I do what they. Co- I just post and ghost. I just like post and then I'm out. But I was on there, so I thought, who's the top Instagram person? Like who make? Like who has the most followers? And it's Ronaldo, by the way. And then I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, okay, he should be. But the rest of them, okay, nothing. They're just famous attractive people like there's nothing about them that that other than they're created in the image of God and the spiritual part there's no value they we just follow them we say they're not perfect but they have this line of clothing they're not perfect but they're funny they're not perfect but he is perfect and he wants to have a relationship with you he is perfect and 
He can remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it's so simple to begin this relationship with him. Just like this idea of him coming on a colt is so like, well, that can't be right. It has to be harder than that. It has to be bigger than that. No. Humility and authority. You can begin that relationship with him today. You can begin that relationship with him anytime. You just say, Lord God, I don't want to follow idols. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of my peace being dependent on my circumstances. Help me to remove those things from my life. Those things that block you. Come, have your way in my life. And there you've begun your relationship. Forgive me of my sin. So simple. He is perfect. He wants to have a relationship with you. We're going to end with one last song. And, um, uh, you know, this would be a great time. What we do during this time, we actually open the altar up. And so if you have something um, that you would like to just give to God, okay? Um, sometimes it might be uncomfortable, like, whoa, walk in front of everyone and kneel at the altar. It's not, it's not a big deal. I'll, I'm going to do it. Right? There are some things that I want to give to God, and it's just a nice way to posture myself in a posture of humility, to go, you know what, I'm going to kneel here, and I'm just going to lean it over. If you're watching online, maybe during this time, you might be at home, it might be uncomfortable or what have you, but you want to just kneel by your couch or by your chair or whatever, just maybe kneel down in the middle of your living room. If you're driving, don't kneel down. That's not good. That's, no, that's not good. And just say, God, I offer myself to you. Be king of my life. Come, have your way. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your kingdom. Not only is it a kingdom of humility and mercy, uh, but it's also a kingdom of power and authority. So Lord, we just, to the best of our ability, we just come before you, we humble ourselves before you. We ask for you to inspect our hearts, see if there be any uh, hurtful way or any sinful way in us. Begin to just cut that heart of stone out, replace it with flesh, replace it with your spirit. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. You want to go ahead and stand for the blessing. Again, if you want to uh, be baptized next Sunday on Easter, uh, let me know. John at livingspring.com. I'll have a conversation. Uh, it's a fun day to get baptized on. Now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go in His authority, in His strength, in his humility and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you on Easter.